0: I think it's the theme of, of love that um, is is moving today for me, uh, just in the study that I've done and and the songs that we've sung and the whole the whole way the service has gone. Even that old Christmas Carol, "What What Child Is This," was it was causing me to be a little bit emotional and and uh, for, uh, for for God and what He's done for us. And I'm not, you know. Christmas carols are, are wonderful but they don't usually move me a whole lot as far as the singing of them and and so anyway it's just interesting but I, I titled this today the love came to earth and I want to start in John 3:16 or 3 we're, we're probably going to back up to actually verse 14 John chapter 3 verse 14 and I, I want to I'm using the NIV Bible today and and I'm, I'm uh, I want to read several scriptures and and talk about this but you know, this is really the, the focus of this entire book. I, I hope you understand. And if you don't know, there's 66 books in this Bible. Uh, there's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. It's divided by uh, when Jesus came and when, when He... Uh, but, but the whole plan of God throughout this book was pointing to Jesus everything that we teach every story is that that an account that's written it's painting a picture it's setting a stage it's preparing and in fact it's preparing them for what's t- what's taking place that we're celebrating and that was that baby in a manger you know we read it last week the the uh, uh, we read it, and I heard it several times out of, out of Luke, how, how the angel of the Lord came and he told the shepherds and, and the glory of God shone around them and the, the presence of God and the, the, the move of, of God that began in their hearts because of what God had established with what God had done. And in John chapter three, uh, I want to back up to verse fourteen before we read that familiar one uh, that that uh, Jason or Jared uh, actually already read all, already today. But it says, "Just as Moses was lifted, or just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up." And here's the reason, verse fifteen: that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Now. The, without taking a lot of time for it, the illustration of the uh, in the wilderness when they were the fiery serpents were coming in and they were being uh, tormented or killed by those uh, serpents that, that, that Moses was told to put a put a brass serpent on a pole and lift it up and when they looked on it then they were healed and they were protected and they were taken care of and it was a it was a painting a picture a foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross. And without getting into a lot of the details of that, we, we we they were given an expectation. They were given something that that all throughout the Old Testament, as they read it, it was pointing to something that they knew as the Messiah. You know, something that uh, we need to understand is that when Jesus was was given the additional name of Christ, some people think that you know he was Jesus Christ, like I'm Kelly Cronkite. You know, Christ was not His last name. It was a title. And it meant to them Messiah. I've heard it defined as the anointed one and His anointings. I've heard it the, the one, but it was pointing to something. Jesus was, was not a, a name that was the first per- He was not the first person to be named Jesus. Uh, in other, in other uh, well, in, in uh, Spanish, or in uh, uh, Spanish, Jesus is spelled the same way. We'd we'd see it. I, I had a guy, uh, it was he was at a rope and uh, Scott, I do not remember who it was. He was at a rope and he said, Man, I, I knew I was gonna win because I had Jesus roping on the other, you know, it was team roping, and, and I was I was roping with Jesus. Well, he was roping with Jesus. But it was a name that was not uncommon. But here's the thing: what made it, and, and Jesus, even the person that he was, the man that he was, he was a carpenter's son. He was known as Jesus of Nazareth. He was known as Nazareth being the town He was born in uh, and raised in. He was was known as Jesus, Joseph's boy, Jesus, the carpenter's son. That's how they distinguished Him. But all of a sudden one day, at some point later on when He became a man, and and when God set Him apart, all of a sudden He became Jesus Christ. He became the Messiah. And that was, that was the, the whole transformation that began to take place in people's lives and, and, and they who had been waiting, anticipating. You know, there's, such a, uh, there's something about us having a heart and an expectation to anticipate God to do something. That's why I say almost every Sunday, God, we thank you for what you've done, for what you're doing and what you're going to do cuz for me i'm anticipating i've i've developed in me an anticipation for god to show up you know i don't prepare more because now the church is full i i prepared just as hard just as much doing just as much prayer when there was a, just a handful of people here but but god we and that's what i tell my 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 Sunday school teachers or or people that are doing ministry you've got to prepare you set your heart that you're going to expect God to move whether there's one there there were a few services that I preached in where it was my family and maybe a few more there's been times and and they'll tell you I didn't cut the sermon in in two I didn't I still gave them the full load you know the old story of the you know the country preacher that a snow blizzard, and you know that he's he's preach. Or he, uh, one old farmer finally gets there, or rancher gets there in his wagon, and and uh, you know he preaches the whole sermon. And when he gets done, the old cowboy says, "Well, you know, uh, preacher, I just want to give you an illustration. If I'm uh, calling for my cows, and I got a load of hay, and only one cow shows up, I don't dump the whole load on her, or <laughs> for." Well, I tell you, I'm just the opposite. I'm going to give it because God put it in my heart. I'm, I'm going to prepare the same. But I'm going to tell you what, that, ta- that takes discipline because it's hard to do when you're... I know many of you that were, have been teachers here a long time. You know, we have 31 kids that we're preparing stockings for. There are 33, I don't know, a bunch. That's counting teenagers on down to the little guys. There was 14 up here today, and, and I think most of them were here, but there were a few gone. I guess killer kids weren't here. We, we had a few a few other kids that might not have been here. But you know what? Here, here's, the, here's the deal. When there was two or three, it, it would get difficult. You teachers know it's difficult for you to keep pouring into your study and keep preparing. But God sees what you do and the diligence that you prepare for. And, and, and he rewards you for, for continuing to be consistent and trust in him. God' I don't, I'm not doing it for the numbers. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for, for that one. if I can do whatever I can be used of. Well Jesus showed up on the scene and he began to, to uh, be identified as that one was a Messiah. But verse 15 or 16 it says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only his one and only son, that whosoever or whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His own Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they did not believe in the name of of God's one and only Son. You know, the example or the the understanding is, is that God in His love sent His Son... And his son became flesh and dwelt among us, and because he did that, he demonstrated God's love in turn for us by going to the cross. I want us to look at First John. You can. Uh, we're going to go. We're going to come back to John. So if you got a, a tab or something, you want to uh, you want to hold a place there in John, the Gospel of John. We'll, we're we're going to go back to the back of the Bible uh, to First John, uh, chapter four. And I want you to find that. Uh, It's it's, uh, small little books back there. If you get to Revelations, back up you went too far. But 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, but 1st John chapter 4. And there's a lot of teaching here out of John's uh, epistle back here that talks about his love for us. But in uh, John chapter 4 verse 8, let's begin here. It says... um, Find it in this Bible. I was studying it out of a different Bible. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is is love. What you to think about that statement? God doesn't just love, but He is love. You know, it's 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 a different it's a different mindset. It, it's it's all He. It's what He is. He doesn't just love. That would be conditional, but He is love, and and that's unconditional. That's the uniqueness of God. Verse 9 says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that he might, we might live through Him. This love, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. And, and I just add that when God lo- lives in us and we love others, then God, then, then people begin to see God in us. You know, it's interesting how we begin, like Dakota's illustration, we begin to, to, to view life different, world the world different when God begins to, to, to uh, do something in our hearts. You know, The world and dealing with people and the environment that we're in sometimes can cause us to be very cynical. You know, sometimes you get hardened. I remember uh, growing up, and and I I told the truth, and and I was if I was a man of my word as a young man, I was taught that way, and and I remember that if I said I was going to do something, I was going to do it, and if I couldn't do it, I was going to come to you and say, "Look, I just I can't get the." I just can't do this, but my intent was always to do what I said I was going to do. And I remember as an 18-year-old kid, and I was a senior in high school, and, you know, mom was going through a lot of stuff back then. I was living with my aunt and uncle up here, and, you know, we'd lost the ranch, and we are going, I don't don't have time to tell her whole story. But, you know, she wasn't able to help, and I wasn't going to absolutely, I was not going to ask her to help me. My aunt and uncle that I lived with were not financially in a position to help me, but so from the time I was 17, I chose to take on my, you know, pickup payment, my my rodeo and my expenses, my my show steers feed. I, I paid for all that and worked, uh, and while I went to high school, and you know I don't I don't begrudge that. I actually value that. But I remember there was one guy that I was working for, and actually I think it was between my junior and senior year, I, I worked for him that summer, and and he I had a lot of hours built up, and he kept telling me, I'm going to pay you, I'm going to pay you, I'm going to pay you, and this guy had a reputation of not paying people, but I believed him, I considered him a friend, and, and, and I I was working, and, and he, he said, I'm going to pay you, I'm going to pay you, I'm going to pay you, and, and I kept believing that, and I kept working. And I kept showing up and we were putting up hay and we were working ground and we were cutting, doing harvest. And so, I mean, I was working a lot of hours and and I kept believing this. And finally, I got to a point where my bills were coming due. You know, my pickup payment was getting behind. My insurance payment was getting behind. My co-op bill for feed for my show steer was getting behind. I had borrowed money for, for my show steers at the <laughs> bank and I had a, a note at the bank. Now, I'm 17 years old now. I only needed a... a maybe 1,000 or 1,500, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, now it's laughable, but at the time it might as well have been 50,000 that I needed. Because I, and, and I was totally overwhelmed by that situation. Now, after I went through that, I learned something very valuable. Some people don't do what they say they're going to do. And what I had to guard against was that I get cynical or hardened to trust people. Now, wisdom will tell you, don't keep working for somebody for, you know, two months. <laughs> I'm going to sell something this week. I got some calves going to the sale. I got some, I got some wheat that I'm going to sell. I got. He, that's what. He, there was a story after story after story. And he was struggling. I mean, he was about to lose everything, and I didn't know that. But the thing was, he strung me along during that time. Now, my heart, my heart could get hard against people. You may have things in your life... Where you've been done wrong, where you've been cheated, where you've been lied to, or or all of these things, and 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 the, but what God's love does for us is helps us to balance that so that we can walk in wisdom and not be taken advantage of. God didn't say you love and let people take advantage of you. But he does say trust him and allow him to keep your heart softened to the point that you still have the ability to love. It. You, you know I, I forgave that, that man he's, he's been a friend a, a lot of years you know it, it, God restored the relationship. I let that go because I, I didn't want to hold a grudge and and worry about that. The thing was I, I began to trust God in the midst of all of that and we made all, we made it through I made it through all of that stuff. And I learned some valuable lessons as a result of it. It was at a point where I had nobody to bail me out. I had nobody to you now. Had I known, I, I, you know, my, my, actually, my grandma, or there was some, there were some people that would have come to help. But I didn't ask for help. I, I didn't. I, I just we just I just went through it, and, and we got to the other side. But I had to allow the love of God to offset the thing that would have hardened me to the point that I wouldn't have been able to have a relationship with this individual and even affect other relationships in my life. See, when we love God or the God of love is in, or the, when God is in our heart, so is the love of God. And the love of God then causes us to see the world different. We don't we don't see the world the same. And we begin to allow for people's weaknesses, frailties, mistakes, the, the things, and you can... You can walk in the power of God to forgive. Now, he goes on. It says in verse 15, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, and I'm still in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. Again, it says God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love made is made complete among us, to uh, to that we believe in the confidence of the day of judgment. In this world, we are we are like Jesus. This there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. So you see that there's no fear of death. There's no fear uh, at, uh, of of the, of the loss, There's no fear of that judgment from God. That fear is driven out by the perfect love of God that we receive when we receive Jesus, if our faith is in Him. You know, there's something that's interesting um, over in... Uh, let's, let's back up to... Uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think we'll go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's... These, some of these verses are, are familiar to you, at least one that we quote quite often, but the verses around it are so powerful. In verse uh, verse 11, we'll start there. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 11. He says, "Since, since then we, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord." We try to persuade others. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we're trying to persuade others. He's talking about their ministry. And that's what the love of God does for us. You know, the illustration of that Dakota used uh, of, of seeing somebody else in need and having a draw and a desire to, to help them. And that's what God does for you whenever you begin to walk and when we, when God begins to change our heart. It begins to affect how we approach the world around us. And the love of God will soften us to the point that we won't just go, ah. You know, one of the thoughts that came to my mind when I was thinking about being cynical and hardened to, to life, you could you could sometimes do you ever I, I, w- I was running to Walmart for Sue, I had to had to stop there on my way home Thursday night after the sale and, and I came in and I parked over on clear over on the west side, and so I went in that side door, but the the bell ringers, the Salvation Army bell ringers were up by the door, up by the main door. And it was amazing how many people were using this single door over here on the side. I have a feeling they were going this way, and not because they parked over there, but because they were trying to avoid the, the, the bell ringers. Well, you know... Sometimes we, and usually I just pull whatever change I got. I usually carry, you know, I've usually got change. I I do enough in cash. I usually got some change in in my pocket. I'll drop some change or something in there as I go by to give. But there can be a thought to many of, well, it can be negative. Do they deserve it? Who are these people? What are they doing? And... I, I will say I was going into the store one time, they've started singing this year. I don't know there, I don't know if they've always done that, but the ones there seems like there's more of them. They're singing carols. And one guy, I was like, can I pay you to not? I mean, it was like, <laughs> this poor guy. I actually, actually, I wanted to pay him really good because I said, Man, you are doing a great job. Because if you're still willing to sing with that voice, I was like, man, that's good. We anyway, were having a little fun with that. But you know, it, it it it's one of those things that these time of season. Would we? How, how do we approach that? See, that'll tell us a little bit about our heart. Do we do we feel begrudged, or or or, or, or are we guarded because because uh, somebody's asking for something? And and that's maybe a bad illustration, uh, uh, but but you get what I mean. And there are times where where you feel like, man, you know, I don't have any more to give, or 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 you get hardened to things. Here's the key. Don't give out of compulsion. In fact, the Bible talks about that. Don't give because there's just because there's a need. Give because God's leading you to do it. Don't give because you like the situation. Don't give because the guy could really sing well. Don't not give because the guy couldn't sing. Whatever that illustration is, when, the, when we got the love of God in our heart, we're not looking at the conditions or the person we're identifying, God, what do you want me to do for this situation? Do you want me to give here or not? Do you want me to give as a, as a result of that? And, and I, I think that's what he, he, he alludes to. He goes on here in verse 12. He says, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what seems, uh, what is seen rather than what is in the heart he says the outward stuff isn't as important as, as the heart. Verse 13, if we, are, if we are out of our mind, as some say, you know, they'll say that about some Christians, you know, they may not say you're out of your mind, but you're saying, man, I don't understand that. I don't. Why, why would anybody give up their Sunday to go to church? I remember a guy that used to, his wife started coming to church here, and uh, he said, I'm not going to church. I'm sleeping in. That's my only day to sleep in. You're out of your mind. He he runs our sound now and is here <laughs> way early. What a, what, a, what a great what that that's the way people see us sometimes. Is they they see, they see Christians, they see, and, and and people that give, they say, why, why would you give to that church? Or why would you do the, Why would you give of your time? Why would you show up? I remember, you know, I remember that uh, Whitney coming in here and and she found us through Cowboy Church, but she came on Sunday morning and she she said, you know, she said, I want you to pray for my husband because you know, he, he thinks he needs to sleep in and we need, he needs to change the heart And it was amazing how now he's a, you know one of the, one of the first ones here, they're usually doing stuff on Saturday nights and on I mean they, they do a ton of extra and he sees it as seed sown even even as his, as his life's gotten busier by now having another kid and having a promotion at work. Well listen, verse 14 is what I wanted to get to. Verse 14 it says this, He says, "For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that the one that one died for all, and there and therefore all died, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, there's there's an interesting, uh, I guess, uh, explanation in that in that in that word compelled. It says for the for Christ's love compels us. This is what the love of God begins to do in our heart and our life. It begins to shape our whole way we see the world. It, it begins to change what we see as, as, as what our perspective is and what begins to be number one. We, we begin to look at life and the world differently because we begin to be compelled by that love of Christ. And you know, after we receive and are blessed and we begin to be transformed and changed... It begins to, to, it begins to hold us. The word in the Greek, that word compel, in verse 14, it means to be held together with a firm grip. The, the idea is that in every instance this word shows a sense of constraint, a tight grip that prevents an escape. Some good and some bad in the uses of this word. But in this instance it would be good. The love of Christ leaves no choice except to live our lives for Him. When when we begin, when the love of God begins to be in our heart and now then it begins to compel everything that we do, it shapes and changes. It gives us an ability to have grace for those who who aren't yet where they should be. I I have that saying, we love you where you're at on the way to where you're going, where God's taking you, in other words. We, We love people. Where where they're at, even though they're not yet perfect, because I know all y'all, and, and and you're not perfect. I don't know all of you that well, but I, I can just I can just make a wager. I can just make a bet. I mean, Martha might be in a, 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 might be an exception, you know, and she, and she always says, "No, I'm not perfect either." Our piano player, if you if you don't know who Martha is, but. Uh, you know, I, I, I use some illustrations, or we use some examples of those that are maybe really close, but yet <clears throat> we're we're not we're not trying to be perfect. We're trying to walk in the love of God and allow it to constrain us, to hold us tightly, and to then compel us so that we stay within the bounds of that love to do what God has called us to do, which is to which is to demonstrate that love towards others. Their whole ministry became about. And began to be uh, or or was was convicted and and that that they people know one died for all. Jesus died for us. He was raised again. And verse sixteen says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do we do we do so no longer. Therefore, now this is the the verse that that we're familiar with. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, or new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God has has reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us... That message of, of reconciliation, you know, uh, one of the things that, that we see in what happened in Paul's life, the Apostle Paul's life, you know, he was once Saul of Tarsus. He was once a very religious man. He was once somebody who, who was given an assignment to stamp out Christianity and to stop the spread of the gospel. He was, he was one who was not a, a, one who walked with Jesus. And yet he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Why? Because the love of God transformed his life. He's the author of this book. And and he's he's now compelled, he's held tightly to that assignment to bring that same message to the world, those that are around him, to, to let them know that Christ died for them and that they can be transformed and changed through the love of God and through what God has provided. You know, here's the thing. Paul's love for Christ gave him his mission his purpose, you know, one of the things that that I feel like is is coming through this message, but but really what God's kind of set me on a track for for the for the next teachings over the next few months is that we come to a, a, a true knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and 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 what He's died for us or died to bring us, but also what are we supposed to do for other people? How are we supposed to, to, to allow that to be our purpose and our mission? You know, John Mason, Mason in his book, uh, Let Go of Whatever Makes You Stop, said this, If you don't have a vision for your life, then you probably haven't focused in on anything. In the absence of vision, there can be no clear and constant focus. Once your focus is clear, however, dis- decisions will jump at you. When you discover your mission, you'll feel its demand. It will fill you with an enthusiasm and a burning desire to get to work on it. You know, his, his, Paul's mission was the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people back to God or to a relationship with God. You know, I think during the Christmas season, during the Christmas time, we always say, it's all about Jesus or this is the reason for the season. But you know, you hear me constantly talk about, I love the fact that we're celebrating the birth of Christ. But that was just the beginning. That was simply God coming to earth in a a miraculous way that couldn't have been done by man, couldn't have been planned, couldn't have... it, it, It presented something that was so out of the ordinary and so unusual. But so was Jesus' entire life. He went through... An entire life, and 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 then three years of ministry, absolutely, dis, de, absolutely demonstrated God's will, His plan, His purpose, His love for us, through how He 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 delivered, how He set free, how He healed, how He restored, and and what He did. I want I want us to look at one more uh, verse, John chapter eight. I told you we were going back to. John, I didn't know if we were going to get there, but John chapter 8. You know, this is a a story of a woman. And you know, it's not gender specific. It it, it doesn't just shed a a, a light on on women. This could fit anyone who is... um, in sin, but in verse 1 it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down. He sat down to teach him, or he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in, a, in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. And when this woman, with this woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declared, Go and leave your life of sin. Sin." You know, in this illustration, I, I think you could plug in any of the sin of any of our lives or, or anybody's sin. Hers happened to be adultery. But we could take whatever sin might be. And, and, and we could be... I could have called up, I called up new members today. You know, we could have called somebody up and we, we could have... Nobody would want to... Vol- Does anybody want to volunteer... To just come up here and just, you know, start confessing your sins before the, the whole the whole crowd. No, we wouldn't want to do that. But here's the thing. God knows our sin, and He still loved us. He, he knew even the times and the points in our lives when we would reject Him, when we would oppose Him. I can tell you things that I did before I gave my life to God, and even after, you know, that, that you'd say, Wow. But yet, God loves us. And we've all got those areas, those places of sin, and yet that's what Jesus is presenting. He's saying, look, people will try to heap condemnation on you. They'll try to heap judgment on you. But Jesus said, look, I came to provide salvation. I came to provide uh, forgiveness. What I, I think is one thing to be noted here is that Jesus didn't have to argue with them all he had to do was speak a word. He spoke that word of you who have no sin, cast the first stone. What I found interesting is that it says the oldest left first. In my mind, being kind of middle-aged, depending on where you think old is, at 56 years old, I feel kind of middle-aged, okay? But, you know, I'm a little softer and quicker to forgive at my age now than I might have been at 40 or at 30. I, I might be less emotional as far as anger and, you know, and, and wanting to hold that rock as, as I get older. Now, not everybody can soften with age. The reverse can happen. Maybe it's because I've I've lived my life giving things to God. I know some people of whatever age they are, age really doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. It's the condition of our heart. Are we willing to yield to God's Word and be changed and transformed in that situation? See, we focus on the woman with the sin and we focus on Jesus. But Jesus' words, Him being love, coming to earth, Him being God personified when He spoke, it still hit their hearts even though they didn't want it to. But they didn't all leave at once. They had no argument for the truth. They had no argument for the power of God. They had no argument for the love of God when it showed up. They just had to drop the rocks and leave. See, God can transform and change any of our hearts. Some of you holding on to that rock pretty tight. I got a tooth back here that I chipped right in between these two teeth. And I've spent a lot of money trying to keep those two teeth. It's the only cavity I've got, it's only Dental work I've ever done with these two teeth and they irritate and aggravate me, and we're fixing to pull that back one. You got some pliers? I'm tired of it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm tired of it. But I catch myself gritting my teeth. I think I've cracked that. I think it's had a root canal, it's had everything. There's no reason that sucker should still hurt. I've gritted my teeth and I'll, I'll, I'll take a nap or I'll lay down or I'll wake up or whatever and I'll realize I've been gritting my teeth. I don't think I grind my teeth but I, I must sleep with my teeth grit sometimes. Are you living your life where you're saying no I ain't going to do this. I'll go this far God but I won't go any further. See the love of God gives you an ability to go on that extra little bit. Drop that rock. Yield to God. Walk away from that situation. You know what they had to do? They had to lay down their rocks. They had to walk off from that woman. They had to give that woman to Jesus, that situation to Jesus. It's a pretty good picture of forgiveness. See, that's what we got to be willing to do. And that's what the power of love does in our lives. It gives us an ability to love those may not even love us you know the individual I was talking about at the beginning with the illustration of him, him withholding money he never repented of that never told me he's sorry we've never talked about it I don't think he even remembers it I'm sure he doesn't and I don't want him to but I had to be willing to lay down that rock to let that go and to release that you know I don't think you can do that without giving your heart over to God and allow the love of God to to be at work in you. You know, Jesus came to provide us salvation. He came to set us free. He came to put put us in a place where He needs us to be so that we can love others. But we first of all got to be able to get, get ourselves fixed. Some of the most powerful things that you'll you'll deal you'll deal with in life, or or be freed up in life, is is to be able to do that. Can you release? Can you drop the rock that you're still gripping? You may not throw it, but by golly, I'm not I'm not going to turn it loose just in case. <laughs> I want you to think about that. Let's bow our heads. Father, I God, I thank you and I praise you, Lord. I didn't plan this service to go this way, but I I know by your Holy Spirit that that's the way it needed to go. And Father, I thank you and I praise you that you give us the love of God showing up into our hearts and lives, not just to set us free, but to do something great in us that enables us to to open up our heart to you and then we're compelled to to release that to others. Father, I pray that, that for anybody who's still holding that rock, anybody who's still still holding on to bitterness or re- resentment or un- unforgiveness. That, Father God, I praise you that, that, Lord, even if we don't want to, that, Lord, we're going to allow the Word of God that says, forgive so that you can be forgiven. It says that love unconditionally, like God, that, Lord God, that will compel us restrain or, or constrain us to your your. Love to your hope, to your strength, and will release whatever it is. I want you to just in, in in, and I don't know who all this is. I don't have anybody in mind, but you may need to even physically just open your hand, drop your rock. In fact, let's stand on her on her feet if you would all stand. And Father, I just thank you and I praise you that I, I I see that in my spirit. As and you can just have your head bowed and your eyes closed again. And and you just you can just hold your hands out in front of you. I don't care. I ain't nobody's watching. And you know what? It's kinda of like I said last week, it, it really doesn't matter what anybody else sees or hears or or does. I got my eyes closed, so I'm not watching you. But Father God, I thank you and I praise that you give us the ability today to forgive, to drop that rock, that thing that we're holding. And Lord God, help to 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 allow the love of God. To take away all that cynicism, all that criticism, all that judgment, all that bitterness, all that all those all that stuff that keeps us from being free to walk in the love that you provided for us. And Father, that all begins. You, you, you said in Second Corinthians five seventeen, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away; all things are become new. It all it all begins with that relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe some have never truly surrendered their life. Maybe the thing they're holding on to is they're holding on to to their life, not wanting to give it to God. But I'm compelled today to put that before you. If you're in this place or you're watching and you've never made Jesus Christ Lord, I pray, Father, I pray that today would be your day, that you'd finally release your life to God and say, Okay, God, you can have my heart. You can have my life. Knock all them hard edges off. You can have it. And the perfect love of God will cast out all the fears you have that have held you back. Father, I thank you and I praise you that if anybody desires to make Jesus Lord, you can pray this prayer with me and all can pray it. But you can pray this simple prayer that says, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And come into my heart and come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, I believe that there's some here today and, and maybe some watching that you've made that choice and that decision. I'll just offer this to you. Is there anybody that wants to be so bold as to say, I made a decision today, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ? I don't often do that. You don't have to come up, but you can wave at me. Is there anybody making that decision? If you're still not brave enough to raise your hand, I tell you what you need to do: you need to talk to me, you need to talk to the people around you, and you need to make that known. And if you're online, you need to get in touch with us. Because here's the thing: once we give our life to Jesus Christ, the fight ain't over. There's gonna be somebody coming after you that's wanna 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 drag you right back into that place that you were, but you can be free. And, and, and uh, anyway, that's all an offer that you have always contact me if you want to and we'll pray with you praise god